The ACBE Forum, Volume 57, October 2018, Number 4, published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Tim Corbett in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer ACB 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the combined federal campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 605-475-8154 and choose option 3. Tune in to ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org or by calling 712-775-4808. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at at A-C-B-N-A-T-I-O-N-A-L, or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash American Council of the Blind Official, www.facebook.com slash A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-C-O-U-N-C-I-L-O-F- T-H-E-B-L-I-N-D-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. Copyright 2018, American Council of the Blind. Eric Bridges, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. 1703 North Beauregard Street, Suite 420, Alexandria, Virginia, 22311. Table of Contents A Sneak Preview of Rochester by Janet Dickelman The Number 10 Dillon Express Was a Huge Success by Donna Brown ACB Holiday Auction Reminder by Carla Rushevall The Rehabilitation Issues Task Force and Employment What Are We Fighting For by Doug Powell Benefits of Becoming Involved with Your State's Rehabilitation Council by Bob Hache. Disability and the Evolving Workplace by Peter Altschul. 
The Randolph Shepard Employment Program, More Than Just Vending Stands, compiled by Artis Bazin. Beyond a Job, Career Development at the Seattle Lighthouse, by Ron Brooks. How to Work on Work, by Paul Edwards. Today's theme, Seeking Your Feedback, by Ron Brooks. Affiliate News. Here and There, edited by Sharon Strakowski. High-Tech Swap Shop Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office 1-800-424-8666 or via email s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb dot org Give her the information and she'll make the changes for you. Keep up with the most important ACB news and announcements without any other chatter. Subscribe to the ACB Announce Listserv. Send a blank email to announcesubscribe at acblist.org. A-N-N-O-U-N-C-E dash S-U-B-S-C-R-I-B-E at A-C-B-L-I-S-T-S dot O-R-G or visit www.acblists.org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t-i-n-f-o slash a-n-n-o-u-n-c-e and type your email address and name where indicated. ACB Radio's main menu is the talk of the town when it comes to technology. Check it out at www.acbradio.org. For news you can use, check out the new ACB Radio World News and Information at www.acbradio.org. A sneak preview of Rochester. By Janet Dickelman. The home of the 2019 American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention will be Rochester, New York. Convention dates are July 5th through 12th. Opening general session will be Saturday evening, July 6th. Daily general sessions will be held Sunday through Wednesday mornings, and our final general session, which will include officer elections, will be Thursday the 11th. The exhibit hall is open Saturday through Wednesday. We will have all-day tours on Friday the 5th and Friday the 12th, with many other tours throughout the convention. Special interest affiliates, ACB committees, and our business partners will hold sessions beginning Saturday, July 6th. Hotels We will be utilizing two hotels, the Hyatt Regency Rochester and the Rochester Riverside Hotel. We will have about the same number of rooms at both hotels, and room rates are the same at each property. We will have guide dog relief areas at each hotel. If your dog prefers grass, the Riverside has a large grassy area just outside the front door. The two hotels are across the street from each other. For safe and easy crossing, there is an audible pedestrian signal at the corner. You can also go between hotels via a walkway through the convention center where general sessions and exhibits will be held. Other activities will be held in both hotels. 
The Riverside has a grab-and-go counter, and their restaurant is Rock Burger, featuring build-your-own burgers, wings, and decadent milkshakes. At the Hyatt, you will find Starbucks, Morton's The Steakhouse, fine dining, and the Hyatt's restaurant, The Street Craft Kitchen and Bar, which serves breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Although we will be using two hotels in the convention center, walking will not be an issue since the spaces are compact with no historical stairways. Traveling to Rochester The Rochester Airport, code ROC, is 10 minutes from the hotels. There is complimentary shuttle service to both hotels. The Amtrak station is six blocks away, as is the Greyhound bus station. The shuttle will pick up at both these locations. The Megabus stop is 10 blocks from the hotels. For anyone driving to Rochester, parking is $4 per night. Staying in touch. The conference and convention announce list will be filled with information about the Rochester convention. To subscribe to the list, send a blank email to acbconvention subscribe at acblists.org. If you received updates for the 2018 convention, you do not need to resubscribe. Hotel Details Room rates at the Hyatt and the Riverside are $89 per night, single or double occupancy, with an additional $10 per person for up to four people. This room rate does not include tax, which is currently 14%. For telephone reservations, call the Riverside at 585-546-6400 or the Hyatt at 1-800-233-1234. Make sure to mention you are with the American Council of the Blind 2019. Rooms must be booked by June 7, 2019 to guarantee the convention rate. To make reservations online, visit www.acb.org and follow the 2019 convention link. Convention Contacts 2019 Exhibit Information Michael Smitherman 601 331 7740 AMDUO at BELLSOUTH dot NET 2019 Advertising and Sponsorships Margarine Beeman 512-921-1625 OLEO50 at H-O-T-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. For any other convention-related questions, please contact Janet Dickelman, Convention Chair, at 651-428-5059 or via email J-A-N-E-T dot D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. The number 10 Dillon Express was a huge success. Early Saturday morning, June 30th, approximately 70 passengers assembled at the Frisco Room Station to board the number 10 Dillon Express. 
This was the starting point for the 2018 ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Rather than a morning cup of coffee, passengers received their caffeine boost from the upbeat walk song written by John Haza, music instructor at the West Virginia Schools for the Deaf and Blind. Passengers began their trek through the winding hallways of the Union Station Hotel out to the pool area. The train then traveled past the pool and around a beautiful lake before returning at the hotel. Why was this walk such a success? With this being the 10th anniversary of the ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, the walk committee had some lofty goals. Once again, family members, co-workers, ACB members and staff, and corporate sponsors helped us far exceed our fundraising goal. Our goal was to raise $67,000. This year's walk has so far raised $83,654. What made this year's walk so special was that it had more teams than ever, with several state and special interest affiliates coming on board for the first time. Whether you were an on-site or virtual walker, a donor or a sponsor, thank you so much for your support of the walk and, more importantly, ACB. On behalf of the walk committee, a huge thank you to all who traveled on the number 10 Dillon Express to make the 2018 ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk such a great success. Stay tuned for the 2019 walk in Rochester. Donna Brown. Caption. And they're off. Dan Dillon, left, walks with a volunteer. Behind him are Alan Peterson and Zelda Gebhard, followed by a large crowd of walk participants. Photo by Dennis Becker. ACB Holiday Auction Reminder by Carla Rushevold. ACB's 7th Annual Holiday Auction will come to you live from Louisville, Kentucky on ACB Radio on the evening of December 2nd. Individuals, chapters, affiliates, and businesses are invited to contribute items to the holiday auction and help make this year's event the best ever. Some examples of popular items include jewelry, techie stuff, handcrafted items, music boxes, countertop appliances, gift cards, and holiday decorations. Sweets and treats are always a great choice. Bidders love candy and fudge, cookies, whoopie pies, bourbon balls, holiday breads, etc. All items donated to the holiday auction will be displayed on our auction preview page at www.acb.org. All donors will be acknowledged both on the website and on ACB Radio during the auction. Donors and winning bidders will be spotlighted in the ACB Braille Forum in March 2019. You can help us be sure we have a balanced auction with items in each category by letting us know in advance about the items that you plan to contribute. Notify us now that you plan to donate items. Share a description of each item with us so we can begin creating the preview page. Send all items except homemade goodies to our Minneapolis office as soon as possible. Deadline is November 1st. The address is American Council of the Blind, Attention, Holiday Auction, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. For more information about the holiday auction and how to contribute items, contact 
Carla Rushevol at 502-897-1472 or C-A-R-L-A-40206 at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M or Brian Charlson at 617-926-9198 or B-R-I-A-N-C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N at C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot N-E-T or Call the Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242. Thanks in advance for your generous support of ACB Radio. The Rehabilitation Issues Task Force and Employment, What Are We Fighting For? by Doug Powell, Chair of the Rehabilitation Issues Task Force. The more I think about this subject, the longer the article gets, so I guess I'd better stop thinking and start writing. We are a task force, not a committee enshrined in the Constitution and bylaws, because our work is supposed to be somewhat temporary in nature. So, when everyone who wants a job gets one, keeps it, and moves up the organizational chart just like our sighted counterparts, and when people who lose their vision and choose not to continue to work can get the equipment and training to continue to live independent, fulfilling, and participatory lives in their communities, this task force will disappear into the sunset. Is anyone holding their breath until that happens? Hopefully not. Until that happens, we will continue to gather, evaluate, and suggest policy to the ACB officers and board of directors, and we will gather, evaluate, and disseminate information and suggestions for advocacy at the state and local levels with and to our affiliates. I have been honored to work with many intelligent, thoughtful, dedicated, and powerful activists who have given their time, knowledge, and effort to our work. We welcome new contributors to the task force or as a stakeholder on our monthly calls and our projects. The basics, not as simple as it looks. Get a job sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But as I was thinking about how to approach this subject from a rehabilitation perspective and what could go wrong, I realized it might be useful to unpack the components of what that involves. Before we even think about resumes, interviews, and the nitty-gritty details, we need a person motivated to work, passion, or calling to a career, Puritan ethic, or desperation to pay next month's rent. Job opportunities. How is the job market evolving through automation and other factors? Career background, skills, and experience. Employer and job seeker finding each other. Employer-employee compatibility, location, accessibility, benefits, etc., and retention-promotion. Success or failure at any point contributes to the difference between 70% employment or 70% unemployment for people who are blind or have low vision. WIOWA About four years ago, Congress passed the Workforce Innovation and Opportunities Act, WIOWA. It has been the federal government's attempt to address the failure of rehabilitation agencies to prepare us to get meaningful work. 
When I served on Virginia's State Rehabilitation Council before WIOA, the focus was on the third bullet point above and mostly on skills. The percentage of cases that our agency serving blind and low-vision clients closed with a successful job placement was around 50%. We OWA is designed to have the Department of Labor, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the Department of Education Rehabilitation Services Administration work together holistically to cover more of the bullet list and improve outcomes. It took another year or two after the law was passed before implementing regulations could be promulgated, and since then, the rehabilitation service providers have been trying to set up and administer the new programs mandated under the regulations. What did WIOWA change? Here are the highlights of what changed. Coordination of services between labor, education, rehabilitation, and independent living center agencies to provide services. Mandated 15% of agency funding to be spent on pre-employment transition services to high school students. Elimination of the homemaker closure. Stricter definition of a successful job placement. All of these sound like they are positive directions for progress, but they come with consequences that ACB is unwilling to let stand. Plus, the new law doesn't answer any of the questions we had before about how to bridge the gaps that have held people who are blind or have low vision out of the workforce. A mostly positive framework has been erected, but it remains to be seen whether the implementation will improve the system. And, we still haven't addressed how to help people who don't have employment as their goal but still need services to maintain their standards of living in their communities. What is the task force fighting for? We are fighting for effective services that will help people who are blind or have low vision achieve the goals they set for themselves. And those goals should be as lofty as they can be without regard for their visual acuity. But to get there, We need your help. My dream as chair is to have a representative from each state affiliate on our monthly call. That representative would also be on their state rehabilitation council, which oversees what the agency is doing and makes recommendations for more effective service provision. With a broad network of our affiliates, we would be able to track effectiveness of state programs, share best practices for advocating for better outcomes, and keep the ACB leadership current on whether our policies and advocacy at the federal level are current and relevant. Right now, we have more questions than I could enumerate here. We will need to have input from the states whether the agencies are fulfilling the promises of fuller employment in jobs that we want to be doing and independent, skilled, and participating members of the community, regardless of their employment status. We'll continue to do the best that we can, but, as the saying goes, the more the merrier. Resources For those of you who would like to join the Rehabilitation Issues Task Force to help us in our work, contact me via email, dougpowell dot o-l-d-j-o-c-k at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m for more information. Or, if you would like to be on the task force, contact Kim Charlson via email, 
K-I-M.C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N at P-E-R-K-I-N-S dot O-R-G. To stay informed about rehabilitation and employment and interact with other ACB members on those issues, sign up on the Rehab Stakeholders List from www.acblists.org slash M-A-I-L-M-A-N slash L-I-S-T-I-N-F-O. Want more information about the Rehabilitation Services Administration, RSA, or the Workforce Innovation and Opportunities Act, WIOA? Go to tinyurl dot com slash 7y5drmf. Tools for job seekers can be found at tinyurl dot com slash yd9qwxo3. The National Research and Training Center, NRTC, at Mississippi State University has research, products, and programs on various aspects of life for people who are blind or have low vision. Visit www.blind.msstate.edu. Benefits of Becoming Involved with Your State's Rehabilitation Council by Bob Hache. Every one of the 50 states that make up our union has an agency that provides vocational rehabilitation, VR, and social rehabilitation, SR, services. Whether your state's agency is a commission whose commissioner is appointed by the governor or whether it's a bureau within a larger agency serving people with other disabilities, all of these agencies have at least one thing in common. They all have a Rehabilitation Council, RC. The RC is made up of a broad range of stakeholders ranging from consumers and parents of people with disabilities to provider agencies and representatives of business and labor. It is the Rehab Council's mission to review and provide input into agency policies and procedures. The Council usually meets once per quarter and submits an annual report to the Rehabilitation Services Administration. Since 1994, I have served on the Rehab Council of the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind, MCB, twice under three different commissioners. Our Council has term limits. A person must leave the R.C. after serving three consecutive two-year terms. Serving on the council has allowed me to become familiar with our agency's budget and funding streams. This information has helped me to become a more effective advocate for funding agency services. It has also allowed me to give my opinion on a broad range of VR and SR policies. For example, one of my favorite complaints about VR for students was that there were few summer jobs and internship opportunities when I was in high school and college. I believe that this helped to create a less-than-desirable resume when I began searching for employment in earnest after graduating from college in 1984. I argued that my sighted counterparts had all sorts of work experience that I lacked. Today, our students have much better opportunities, especially given the many internship programs that have sprung up throughout the nation. 
Serving on the RC also allowed me to become more familiar with agency personnel and procedures. Such knowledge comes in handy when you're advocating for yourself or for other VR consumers. I also became more familiar with how an organization is run, which was very helpful to me when I began serving on the board of directors of the Bay State Council of the Blind and other nonprofit organizations. Bruce Howell is the current chairman of the RC here in Massachusetts, representing provider agencies. Your participation on the Rehabilitation Council provides an opportunity for you to express your ideas and opinions about how MCB provides vocational rehabilitation services, as well as to express the interests and concerns of the entire Massachusetts blindness community that you represent. Howell stated, You are part of an essential advisory board helping to ensure that MCB follows the Federal Rehabilitation Services Administration, RSA, rules and regulations in a manner that enables MCB to best meet the needs of blind consumers who want to remain or become employed. I would encourage each and every one of you to at least consider becoming a member of your state's Rehabilitation Council. Given that our agencies are likely to be fighting for scarce funding in the next few years, it is crucial that members of ACB and the blind in general become effective advocates for agency funding. Some of you may have creative ideas that have not yet been tried that could help to improve the employment situation for we who are blind and visually impaired. By joining an RC, you can share these ideas with your agencies and perhaps be a part of their implementation. You may also want to join ACB's Rehabilitation Stakeholders List. To do so, go to www.acblists.org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t I-N-F-O slash R-E-H-A-B dash S-T-A-K-E-H-O-L-D-E-R-S and fill out the subscription form. If you have questions about joining your state's RC, feel free to phone me at 781-893-6251 or email me at B-H-A-C-H-E-Y at V-E-R-I-Z-O-N dot net. Disability and the Evolving Workplace by Peter Altschul Editor's Note This article is part of Peter Altschul's new book, Breaking It Down and Connecting the Dots, Creating Common Ground Where Contention Rules. The book is available through Bookshare and Learning Ally. It will be available on BARD later this year. October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month and Blindness Awareness Month. Yawn. Yet, the unemployment rate for people with disabilities is still somewhere between 60 and 70 percent, or two to three times higher than our non-disabled peers. Change is rippling across the workplace. Contract or gig work is replacing full-time jobs with benefits. Many middle managers are disappearing with more work done away from the office. Employers are more committed to diversity due to demographic shifts and research showing how it can strengthen the bottom line. 
Technology is disrupting the way products and services are made and sold, with future job growth falling into two broad categories. High-tech, creating, debugging, protecting, selling, and servicing technology and its networks. And high-touch, assisting people to use this technology to meet their needs. These changes can benefit job seekers with disabilities. Working from home might assist managers and customers to focus on our skills instead of being emotionally disabled by our disabilities while saving us from the wear and tear of the daily commute. An increased focus on diversity's benefits might influence employers to adjust attitudes and be more flexible in providing adjustments to meet our needs. But those of us assisting people with disabilities to find work must think and act in new ways. Sure, Literacy skills, technological adeptness, mobility competence, and emotional intelligence are still important. But in this gig economy, we need to encourage a more entrepreneurial spirit, assisting potential workers to explore how best to use, build on, and sell their strengths in an increasingly fragmented and global marketplace. Other challenges abound. During the past several years, technology platforms with names such as Yammer, Slack, TaskRabbit, MeetX, Virtual Boardroom, Diligent, BoardPad, and Etsy have been created to support people to work together while apart, connect those seeking work with opportunities, and provide just-in-time training. Which of these platforms has been most successful in the marketplace, and how accessible are they to the technology that we currently use? Better yet, which of these products has followed the path of Apple by embedding accessibility into their design? How can we best encourage those who create these platforms to be more user-friendly to those with disabilities while benefiting their other customers? Let's encourage those who work with us by buying and promoting their products. Let's also explore how other coalitions are preparing people from other underrepresented groups to compete in this new environment. Let's form alliances with businesses to prepare people with disabilities to meet their needs. Let's work with officials from federal, state, and local governments to tailor Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and other programs to this new world, working with others when appropriate. Let's think about a basic income for everyone and portable health care, ideas with some support among conservative and progressive policy wonks. Next October, we will again be bombarded with activities related to National Disability Employment Awareness Month and Blindness Awareness Month. Instead of yawning, how might we use this platform to communicate our dreams, goals, and accomplishments related to the rapidly evolving workplace? Let's get to work. The Randolph Shepard Employment Program, more than just vending stands. Compiled by Ardis Bazin, RSVA, registered trademark, second vice president. Even though Randolph Shepard employment opportunities have been available since 1936, many are not aware of this option for employment. Even though technology and education have allowed more blind and visually impaired people to obtain additional employment opportunities, the Randolph Shepard program still employs more blind and visually impaired people than any other program. 
The Randolph-Shepard Act, federally mandated and passed in 1936, provides employment opportunities for blind individuals in the United States through the Business Enterprise Program, BEP. A designated state licensing agency in each state, SLA, administers the Randolph-Shepard Program and has the first right of refusal to operate business facilities in federally owned government buildings. Besides federal facilities, BEP businesses are operated in city, county, and state facilities, including snack bars, cafeterias, vending machine facilities, vending machine routes, highway rest areas, visitor welcome centers, gift shops, convenience stores, and food service canteen locations on military bases. These facilities generate over $750 million a year in sales, making the Randolph-Shepard Program the seventh-largest food service program in the nation. Since each state program differs widely in training requirements and availability of locations, interested individuals should contact their rehabilitation counselor or local blind rehabilitation office. If you have a general agency, Ask for your nearest blind services representative. To find a state BEP administrator, you can check for specific state info at www.ncsab.org. You can also email rsva at randolph sheppard.org for specific contact information. Each state provides training for its BEP locations and has its own criteria for licensing. Some state programs have training for those just wishing employment in food service but not management training. Randolph Shepard Vendors of America is celebrating 50 years of achievement and advocacy this year. RSVA would like all blind people to be aware of the Randolph-Shepard program and urges all blind people seeking employment to explore the business enterprise program in their state. RSVA's motto is Blind Businessmen, Women, Building a Better America. RSVA is committed to improving economic opportunities for blind managers and promotes independent and effective participation in the business enterprise program. The purpose is to bring together blind people engaged in the operation of vending facilities and others supporting these goals and objectives. Promoting the general welfare of blind vendors nationwide providing forums for discussion of issues affecting licensed blind managers, working to improve the education and training available to blind managers through two national conferences, the RSVA-sponsored Sagebrush National BEP Training Conference and the annual Summer RSVA-ACB Conference and Convention providing technical and legal support to managers to ensure rights granted under the Randolph-Shepard Act are not limited or voided by actions of property managers or state licensing agencies, providing RSVA speakers at meetings or conferences, receiving support from ACB for monitoring actions of legislative and regulatory bodies affecting blind vendors, 
promoting a positive image of blind vendors, managers as citizens contributing to the economy of communities where they work, and publishing the Vendorscope magazine, the quarterly publication of RSVA. You can view past issues online at www.randolph-sheppard.org. RSVA membership offers the opportunity for fellowship with peers to meet experts in the field and to participate in the governance of the organization. The Durward K. McDaniel Memorial Fund is a legacy of legal support for endeavors protecting the Randolph Shepard Act under federal law. Learn more at the RSVA 2019 Sagebrush National Business Enterprise Program Training Conference in Las Vegas, February 11th to 15th, 2019. It is the longest-running national training conference in the Randolph Shepard Program history. You may contact RSVA via email, rsva at randolph sheppardorg or check www.randolph-sheppard.org. Beyond a Job, Career Development at the Seattle Lighthouse by Ron Brooks. When I was a kid growing up in central Indiana during the late 70s and early 80s, I had a friend named Kevin. We were students at the Indiana School for the Blind, where we whiled away the hours flying paper airplanes off the balcony, formed a SWAT club where we rolled down hills, slid down banisters, jumped off high railings, and basically did whatever we could to be cool and avoid homework. Our paths crossed again at Camp Timber Ridge, where we shared a cabin and spent the late nights playing pranks on our camp counselor and talking about girls. Somehow, the years got away and I moved on, leaving ISB and then Indiana. Eventually, I came back home to finish college, but I never reconnected with Kevin. Then, about five years ago, I got a Facebook invitation from a recruiter for the Seattle Lighthouse for the Blind. I have always been one to keep my options open, so I followed up. And wouldn't you know it, Kevin Daniel was back on my personal radar screen. During that long overdue conversation, I learned several things. First, it was great reconnecting with an old friend. Second, I learned that I had no desire to leave Phoenix. And finally, I learned that the Seattle Lighthouse does an amazing job in the area of employment for people who are blind or visually impaired. So when the Board of Publications decided to focus on employment in the October edition of the ACB eForum, I decided to chat with Kevin about the amazing job the Seattle Lighthouse is doing to enhance employment and professional development opportunities for people who are blind or visually impaired. The Seattle Lighthouse, officially the Lighthouse for the Blind, Incorporated, was founded in 1918 to provide training and employment for the blind and visually impaired. Initially, the Lighthouse offered production and manufacturing jobs, but over time, the organization grew and diversified. Today, 
The Seattle Lighthouse employs more than 470 individuals, more than half of whom are blind, in its Seattle headquarters facility, in satellite facilities in Spokane, Washington, and Somerville, South Carolina, and in base supply centers located on military bases in California, Nevada, and Washington. Many of the jobs are entry-level production jobs with competitive compensation and benefits, but a number of jobs are in technical fields and at supervisory, managerial, and even executive levels. During our conversation, I asked Kevin what sets the Seattle Lighthouse apart in terms of employment for people who are blind. After all, many organizations employ blind people, and a number hire blind technicians, managers, and executives. According to Kevin, what sets the Lighthouse apart is its focus on continuous employee development at all levels. We have an internship program for blind workers who have a limited skill set, said Kevin. These are people who might not be able to get a job otherwise. The internship program gives them the opportunity to develop specific skills that they can use at work. If we can find an opportunity within the Lighthouse, that's great. If we can find an opportunity at Amazon or Google or Microsoft, that's great, too. Kevin went on to share several other innovative employment development programs. One is a requirement that absolutely every Lighthouse employee maintain an individual career plan, ICP. The ICP identifies the employee's career goals and the developmental steps which the employee will need to take to achieve his or her goals. Second, The Lighthouse makes a tangible commitment to employee training and development. Kevin states that every employee is authorized to receive three hours of training per week. This is a budgeted expense. Training can be for any job-related area, but in addition to job-specific training, we have three core areas for training, adaptive technology, braille, and mobility. Finally, Kevin shared that the Lighthouse actively recruits its employees for internal advancement opportunities, and when no internal opportunity exists for a given employee, the Lighthouse actively recruits for external opportunities. As Kevin put it during our conversation, blind people are more tech-savvy, have better training, and have higher expectations for themselves and their careers. To be competitive, we need to support their goals. I asked Kevin about his own employment journey. I have an academic background in business management and public relations, Kevin shared. But, like so many others, I spent a good bit of my working life underemployed and undervalued. But when the Lighthouse offered me a position as executive director at the Inland Northwest Lighthouse in Spokane, I jumped at the chance. Then, I got the chance to come here and direct recruitment and employment having a chance to be a champion for people just like me and helping give them the chance to work is a joy for me. Kevin and I closed our conversation with a discussion of the past and future. In September, the Seattle Lighthouse celebrated its centennial birthday, and while that is a momentous occasion, Kevin is looking forward. For years, we focused on manufacturing, production, and manual labor. But the number of production jobs is dwindling, and the number of blind people who are interested in production jobs is also decreasing. We will need to maintain a presence in manufacturing, but we need to increase our use of technology within the manufacturing process. 
we also need to move into more technology-driven industries. This is where blind job seekers want to work, so it's where the lighthouse needs to be. Like virtually every other organization in America, the Lighthouse has a website, and at the very top is this tagline, Jobs, Independence, Empowerment. Based on my conversation with Kevin, these aren't just words. They are core values, and they represent the steps that blind people are taking with help from Kevin and others at the Lighthouse each and every day. For more information about the Seattle Lighthouse, visit them online at T-H-E-L-I-G-H-T-H-O-U-S-E-F-O-R-T-H-E-B-L-I-N-D-I-N-C.org. How to Work on Work by Paul Edwards I have been involved at the state level of ACB since 1977 and have worked as a rehab teacher and a rehab counselor with the Division of Blind Services in Florida. Before I retired, I worked for 27 years as Director of Services to Students with Disabilities at one of the campuses of the largest community college in the country. This means that I was around when Section 504 was passed and then finally implemented. It seemed like a huge step forward to us then, despite its limited coverage. I lived through the euphoria surrounding the passage and signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act and have lived through its emasculation by journalists and conservative legislators. For virtually all of that time, there is one statistic that has remained constant. For people who are blind, the unemployment rate is always pegged at 70%. Anyone who has tried to keep up with unemployment statistics will know that there are lots of people who question the validity of the 70% claim. Nevertheless, it keeps appearing as gospel truth and, perhaps more importantly, it has remained unchanged for the last 30 years. The first time I saw this figure was in a set of statistics published by the American Foundation for the Blind in 1994, and, since I just looked at them again, I should say that the 70% applies to people who are legally blind. I could write another whole article on the inadequacy of blindness statistics, and maybe I will. Every time we seem to take a step forward, there is something else wrong with the way data is collected about people who are blind. For a while, blind people were counted with deaf people, and it was impossible to separate the two groups. Then, the Department of Labor decided that the only people who should count in unemployment stats were those who were actually and demonstrably seeking work during the period being surveyed. The net result is that all I am sure of is that I have never seen statistics which don't put blind folks far ahead of everybody else in terms of the percentage of us who can't get jobs. For every other minority in the country, things have improved during the last generation. Even for people with other disabilities, the employment outcomes have improved. Why have statistics remained so stubbornly horrid for people who are blind or have low vision? I don't claim to know for sure what the reasons are for its failure to change. I do know that, unless we do something to at least come to terms with the whys, we aren't likely to be able to alter it. So, 
For the next little while, let's explore what some possible hypotheses might be for the ongoing intransigence of the unemployment rate. I believe that a major factor that limits employment is that too many blind people seek employment without the computer competency needed to succeed. There is some training that is made available in every state, but it usually involves rudimentary screen reader or magnifier software use and little more. I also believe that, with the full-on advent of mainstreaming, most blind kids don't spend enough time with other blind people and thus often lack the kind of networking with successful visually impaired folks that is essential if youngsters are to be successful. I think many parents don't want their little blind kids to associate with other little blind kids. I continue to believe that, while in school, visually impaired students don't get the same access to vocational exploration as do their non-disabled peers. Too few kids get any work experience while in school. I think that, since state schools for the blind became primarily schools for multiply disabled blind children, there is not the same opportunity for socialization among blind youngsters that creates a sense of self that often doesn't exist for kids coming out of high school now. Fewer people who are blind seem to be going into rehab work these days. That means there are not as many role models who are blind that become a part of the rehab process for blind people seeking jobs. Perhaps we can work with school districts to do a job fair event once a year where our members who are working will come and talk to students about the jobs we do. I think that school and college both encourage dependence rather than independence because young blind students who have come through mainstreaming expect people to tell them what they need to do. I think it is important to recognize that blind people have never had it so good in terms of access to information and technology. As interfaces have become more graphical, many databases and websites used by state and local governments and by private companies have become inaccessible. In Florida, we tried to negotiate with the state to make things better and, despite our best efforts, our only recourse was to file a complaint with the Department of Justice. It is worth noting that three years or more later, we have received no indication that DOJ plans to do anything. Clearly, another issue is the failure of the federal government to enforce the laws it passes. So, sure, there are websites that are not accessible, but, with proper training, I don't think that blind people are at nearly such a disadvantage technologically as they were a generation ago. Failure to assure proper training must be laid at the doors of education and rehab alike, and, for rehab, the problem doesn't stop there. Counselors don't know nearly as much about blindness as they should. Now that separate state agencies are becoming fewer, there just isn't the infrastructure of understanding about what blind people need that gets us past the expectation of quick and dirty closures in jobs that will never be seen by the client as a viable career. There is incontrovertible evidence that knowing and using Braille substantially improves the likelihood of success for blind job seekers. The most direct study to demonstrate the relationship was done by Ruby Riles in Louisiana and published in the Journal of Visual Impairment and Blindness several years ago. We don't really need studies, though. Braille circulation at NLS is down. 
We have all seen how many blind people choose to opt for speech when Braille is a viable option because speech is easier to learn and less expensive to get. Yet, in state after state and in agency after agency, Braille is dismissed as too time-consuming to learn and not essential for placement. Even more appalling is the fact that too many students in school are being persuaded to forego Braille since speech on computers makes Braille redundant. We have passed Braille bills in virtually every state, but we are not doing a good enough job of holding education's feet to the fire on this issue. Much of what has been said so far applies to people who were born blind. For those who lose their sight later, the situation is even more difficult. Adjustment to blindness is neither easy or quick. There are a range of skills that have to be learned. For many newly blinded folks, time is necessary both to learn the specific skills needed to be successful and to learn to feel comfortable as a person who can't see. Homemaker closures and other similar options represented a plateau where people who were adjusting to blindness could pause while they acquired more skills and became more comfortable as well. These closures are no longer permitted under the new rehab law. Far too often now, counselors work for a quick closure that requires little training so the blind person is frequently out there on the job without the skills needed to keep the job and without the environmental readiness to be a fully functional blind person. All too frequently, blind people lose jobs not because they can't do them, but because their circumstances change. A living situation changes. Transportation goes away. A program used on the job changes and there isn't time to find a way around the access that has gone away. There are new measures that will now be used to judge the effectiveness of rehab programs. I am not sure whether these new indicators will be better or worse for blind clients or for agencies serving them. Only time will tell us. I am sure that we, as people who are blind and as members of ACB, can do some things that will make a difference. First, we need to be far more pushy with local school districts about creating a relationship between our local chapters and youngsters in school. They need us more than we need them, but they don't know it. Offer to be at sports day events. Offer to tutor in Braille. Hold game days or nights for youngsters. Perhaps we should also think about holding training sessions for teachers. We know more about being blind than most of them do. The NFB is taking the bull by the horns and operates Bell programs in many states. They have an active parents program and, for older kids, offer youth programs, space camps, and STEM encouragement programs. We may not be able to emulate what you do and perhaps shouldn't anyway. However, it is ludicrous for us to just sit back and do nothing. Many of our affiliates give scholarships to students, and we want them to be at our events. Perhaps we need to turn it around and ask to present our scholarships at school assemblies or on college campuses so that people get a better idea of who we are and what we can do. I think every local chapter should meet at least twice a year with the local office of the rehab agency, with representatives of the school system, and with the local private rehab agency if there is one. 
It is up to blind people to monitor the kind of service these agencies provide and to ask to be involved in what they are doing. At least one advantage of this kind of regular gathering would be to keep track of the kind of training blind people are getting. Also, public agencies should be prepared to tell us what jobs blind people are being hired to do. If we recruit more members while they are being served by agencies, we will know more about what agencies are doing well and where they need our help and advice so they can do better. Here is one way we can sell ourselves to agencies. After training, people who are blind go back to their home environment. Often, that means they go back to a situation where they are not encouraged to use the skills they have learned from the agency or at school. What if we could persuade agencies to work with us to work with their clients so they didn't lose their edge? Coming to meetings and going on outings with local chapters forces folks to use the skills they have been trained to use. What applies at the local level applies at the state and national levels as well. We are organizations of blind people who have a right to understand what is being done to our brothers and sisters seeking employment. ACB has passed resolutions that make clear that training is insufficient in technology and Braille. If we can't persuade agencies to do more, we may need to look directly to federal funding for the training blind people need to be successfully placed in careers. We have to continue to object to changes in the law that make it harder to place blind people. We have to work to make consumer choice real rather than the sham it is in the current law. ACB has an Employment Issues Task Force and a Rehab Task Force. Both of these groups should be working to answer the question this article has tried to address. I think we can change the 70% statistic, but only if we recognize that employment is the business of every blind person, not just of those seeking jobs. We also have to understand that ACB and our state and special interest affiliates must accept that it is our responsibility to accept that the unemployment statistics will not change unless we make them change by taking a hard look at the infrastructure of services and demanding to be part of changing them for the better. There is one area that must be discussed. A significant portion of that 70% statistic is caused by discrimination. Many employers remain unwilling to believe that people who are blind can fit in regardless of their qualifications or their experience. ACB has to work to change this ongoing disgrace. There are three things we can do. First, we can and should be sure that blind people know what their rights are to file complaints with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC. Second, we must partner with rehab agencies to work at the state and local levels to let employers see our members who are already successfully doing comparable jobs to those that clients are seeking. Third, we must persuade rehab agencies to support the discrimination cases their clients want to file. Filing complaints is a scary thing. Having the support of a state agency makes this process much easier. Enabling people who are blind to become all that they can be is what ACB is all about. If 7 out of every 10 blind people who want to work are not able to do that, we have work to do. 
we have to change the attitudes that many blind job seekers have as much as we have to change agencies and employers' values. We have had a huge impact in so many areas as an organization. It's time for ACB to work on this issue now. Change can happen, but only if we make it happen. Today's theme, Seeking Your Feedback, by Ron Brooks. Earlier this year, the ACB Board of Publications introduced a new concept for the ACB eForum. In August, we included expanded content with the theme of Going Back to School. In October, the theme is Employment and Rehabilitation, and in December, we'll be featuring the theme of Traditions. The idea is that by concentrating content around a theme, we will be able to create a richer conversation, hear from more voices, and perhaps some new writers as well. We think themed issues of the ACB e-form will be a good thing, but we want to find out whether you agree. To do that, we will be introducing two questions at the end of each ACB e-form magazine, and we are inviting readers to provide their answers to ACB editor Sharon Lovering. You will find the questions and Sharon's information below. 1. How would you rate the overall quality of this edition of the ACB eForum? Excellent, good, fair, poor. 2. List one thing we could have done that would have made this edition of the ACB eForum better. 3. Do you have any ideas for future ACB eForum themes? You can provide your responses to editor Sharon Lovering. By email, S-L-O-V-E-R-I-N-G at A-C-B dot org. By phone, 202-467-5081. We will use your feedback to make refinements to our theme-based approach for the ACBE forum. And if you don't like themes, we'll know for next time. Thanks for reading our ACB Braille Forum and eForum magazines. You are the reason the BOP exists, and we look forward to serving you in the best way possible. Affiliate News ACB Diabetics in Action The American Council of the Blind Diabetics in Action is an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. We provide support by our listserv, monthly phone call, newsletter, and seminars at our yearly convention. Did you know diabetes is one of the leading causes of blindness? According to the Centers for Disease Control, 4.2 million adults have diabetic retinopathy and 899,000 have vision-threatening diabetic retinopathy. Vision problems and blindness caused by diabetic retinopathy may be prevented through good blood sugar control and going to see your eye doctor for early detection of eye diseases. This may seem overwhelming. That's why we are here, to support you. Consider joining our affiliate for $10 a year. One of our goals is to make meters more accessible to low vision and blind users. We are sure there are many blind members who have diabetes and ACB. Are you one of them? Join us today by contacting D. Clayton via email. 
D-E-E-C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-1 at gmail.com. CCLVI Scheigert Scholarships This year's CCLVI Scheigert Scholarship recipients are Freshman Madison Allen, Undergraduate Samantha Mayberry, and Graduate Maureen Hayden. Madison, from Rosman, North Carolina, is attending the University of Tennessee Knoxville and majoring in nuclear engineering. Samantha, a two-time Shigert recipient from Elizabeth, Indiana, is a junior at Columbia College, Chicago, majoring in acting. Maureen, from College Station, Texas, is a doctoral student at Texas A&M University, majoring in marine biology. On January 1, 2019, the application window for 2019 Scheigert Scholarships opens and will remain open until 11.59 p.m. Eastern on March 15th. Eligible applicants must satisfy specific low vision and academic requirements. Details are available at www.cclvi.org. Click on Shigert Scholarship to review guidelines and other relevant information. For more information, call CCLVI at 1-844-460-0625. Top Dog 2019 Top Dog 2019 will be held January 18th to 20th, 2019 in Charleston, South Carolina. The hotel is the Comfort Suites West of the Ashley, 2080 Savannah Highway, Charleston, South Carolina, 29407, phone 843-769-9850. Room rates are $89.95 plus tax per night, and that rate will be good from January 14th through January 21st. Be sure to tell them that you're with Top Dog to get the special nightly rate. For more information, visit G-U-I-D-E-D-O-G-U-S-E-R-S-I-N-C dot O-R-G. Michigan Launches Internet Radio Station After being inspired by Internet radio leaders like ACB Radio and The Legend, the Michigan Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired recently launched MCBVI Radio. The station offers a great assortment of musical memories, plus many specialized music and talk programs, including 45's Alive with Michael Smith, Country Hits and More with Pam Francis, Daily Album Features, Motown Memories, Peace in the Midst of Pieces with Reverend Russell Zimmerman, Treasure Island Oldies, Big Bob's Memory Lane Show, and much more. Check out MCBVI Radio at www.mcbviradio.com. There, you'll find the schedule, information about making requests, the various ways you can listen, computer, Victor Reader, smartphone, and more, a list of presenters, and much more. You can also listen to MCBVI Radio by calling Audio Now at 
801-1098. Long distance and cellular charges may apply. Give us a try and send your feedback to m-a-n-a-g-e-m-e-n-t at m-c-b-v-i-r-a-d-i-o dot com. Here and There, edited by Sharon Strakowski. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACBE forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb dot o-r-g or phone the national office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Lighthouse Guild Awards Scholarships Lighthouse Guild recently named the recipients of its annual scholarships. This year, 10 high school students and one graduate student have been selected as recipients. Lighthouse Guild scholarships of up to $10,000 are based on strong academic accomplishment and merit to help students who are blind attend the college of their choice. This year's scholarship recipients listed with the schools they will be attending are Brielle Kayer, Middletown, Connecticut, Fordham University. Tian Crosno, Bentonville, Arkansas, University of Kansas. Joseph Luther Fuller, Lawrence, Kansas, University of Kansas. Isaac Hyman, Mukilteo, Washington, Western Washington University. Tricia Kulkarni, Centerville, Ohio, Stanford University. Jack McPadden, Winchester, Massachusetts, Clark University. Mawasam Mehta, Stanton, Virginia, University of Virginia. Mark Ruoff, Piscataway, New Jersey, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Sophia Villam, Chicago, Illinois, Villanova University. Gillian Ward, North Aurora, Illinois, Loyola University. Mary McLaughlin, Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania, Trinity College, Dublin, MBA program. Since its inception in 2005, Lighthouse Guild's scholarship program has awarded over $2 million in scholarships to outstanding students from 36 states. Lighthouse Guild also has an award to recognize outstanding teachers based on nominations from students. This year's Lighthouse Guild Teachers Award recipient is Sherry Schumann from Centerville High School, Ohio. According to Tricia Kulkarni, who will be attending Stanford University in the fall, Mrs. Schumann was the first teacher who treated me as a student, not as a student who was disabled. Little did I know that would be one of the many firsts that I would experience in her class. Eye exams for service dogs a success. The 11th annual ACVO Stokes RX National Service Animal Eye Exam event took place in veterinary clinics nationwide during May. 
approximately 7,625 service animals receive free screening eye exams. This year's event was sponsored by the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmologists and Stokes Pharmacy, as well as several generous industry sponsors, ophthalmologists, and staff. Participating ophthalmologists volunteered their services, staff, and facilities at no charge to participate in the event. Link Between Eye Diseases and Alzheimer's Researchers have discovered a link between three degenerative eye diseases and Alzheimer's disease. They say their findings could lead to new ways to identify people at high risk for Alzheimer's. The study involves 3,877 randomly selected patients aged 65 and older. They were tracked over the course of five years, during which time 792 were diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Patients with age-related macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, or glaucoma had a 40 to 50 percent greater risk of Alzheimer's disease than those without the eye conditions, the researchers said. BANA Board Meeting Results The Braille Authority of North America, BANA, held its spring 2018 meeting April 9th to 11th. The board reviewed committee reports and acted on the committee's recommendations. Portions of the Monday and Tuesday meetings were dedicated to further development of BANA's strategic plan. The board approved two guidance documents, graphing calculator guidelines and a revision of guidance for transcription using the Nemeth code within UEB contexts, which will be released shortly. Jessica Jesse Rivera representing Associated Services for the Blind, was elected BANA Treasurer. BANA welcomed two new board members, Whitney Gregory from Braille Solutions Region 4 Educational Service Center and Tina Seeger from Clovernook Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Horizons for the Blind also appointed a new board member, Cynthia Cindy Scandera. Holman Prize Winners The Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired of San Francisco has named Stacy Cervenka, Conchita Hernandez, and Red Shell as the 2018 winners of the Holman Prize for Blind Ambition. The recipients will use their awards to promote blind empowerment in Mexico, complete a dramatic oceanic triathlon, and develop the first online community for blind travel. The Holman Prize is named after the 19th century explorer James Holman, known around the world as the Blind Traveler. It aims to launch worthy projects that will change the public's perceptions of blindness for years to come. New from National Braille Press Hot off the presses and just in time for the new school year is Writing Your Way, Composing and Editing on an iPhone or iPad by Judy Dixon. It's available in Braille, two volumes, as well as in BRF, Word, and DAISY versions. Most people who have used an iPhone or iPad have done at least some writing on it. But could you write a full-length article or term paper with one? Judy Dixon explores numerous strategies and techniques that can make writing and editing on an iPhone or iPad a breeze. 
Detailed coverage includes inputting and editing text directly from your device using the on-screen QWERTY keyboard, Braille screen input, handwriting, and dictation, inputting and editing text from external devices such as hardware keyboards and Braille displays, app tours of notes, drafts, voice DreamWriter, pages, Microsoft Word, and more, and eight appendices with relevant gestures, keyboard commands, and shortcuts. UEB Reference Sheets for Math by Wendy L. Buckley and Sandy Smith is currently available in large print. It will be available in Braille Tactile soon. This book organizes common math symbols as transcribed in the UEB code. It covers numbers, arrows, fractions, shapes, Greek letters, miscellaneous symbols, and the signs and symbols of operation, comparison, and grouping. Recently released is Space Cat by Doug Cushman. It's available in contracted UEB for ages 4 to 9. Fasten your seatbelts for a fantastic space adventure. Brand new in the children's section is The Legend of Rock, Paper, Scissors by Drew Daywalt and Adam Rex. This book is available in contracted UEB for ages 4 to 9 and beyond. Newly released is Ada Twist Scientist by Andrea Beattie and David Roberts. It's available in contracted UEB for ages 5 to 10. Ada has always been curious. Why do roses have thorns? Why are there hairs growing inside your nose? When her house fills with a horrific smell, Ada searches out the source, and it's not what she expects. For more information, contact National Braille Press at 1-800-548-7323 or visit www.nbp.org slash ic slash nbp slash p-u-b-l-i-c-a-t-i-o-n-s slash i-n-d-e-x dot h-t-m-l. VFO IRA Announced Partnership VFO and IRA recently announced a new collaboration that will equip all VFO customers with free use of the IRA service should they need visual access to a screen while using one of their products, such as the JAWS, registered trademark, screen reader. Any VFO product user can download and launch the IRA app to connect with the IRA agent. Go to the iOS App Store or the Google Play Store, search for IRA by IRA Tech Corp., download the app, and sign up as a guest at aira.io slash app. Cincinnati Eye Institute Launches Partnership Cincinnati Eye Institute, CEI, recently announced the launch of CEI Vision Partners, CEIVP, a new management services organization made possible with the support of Ruffelstoke Capital Partners, a Denver-based private equity firm. 
CEI's management team will lead CEIVP's operations and will continue to provide extensive resources and capabilities to support CEI's clinical operations. Doctors and services will remain the same. Patients will benefit from even greater access to care as CEI's operations continue to expand. High-Tech Swap Shop For Sale Humanware Braille Note Touch Asking $3,500 Contact Karen Williams at 925-586-3415 or via email K-A-R-I-N-W at A-S-T-O-U-N-D dot N-E-T For sale Braille Note Apex BT32 comes with original box, user's manuals, and cables. Asking $2,000. Contact Ryan Riffle at 304-966-0485. For sale, Humanware Brilliant 32 Braille Display. Brand new, still unopened, in original box asking $1,850, which includes shipping. Contact Judy Wilkinson at 510-357-1844 or via email jwilkins at panix.com. For sale, Merlin LCD Video Magnifier. Barely used. Comes with user's guide and all cables. Asking $1,695. Contact Janet at 304-216-6113 or via email jjp246 at comcast dot net. Wanted. Upgraded Braille and Speak or Updated Note Taker. Contact Tanya Smith at 1632 Perry Street, Newport, Michigan, 48166. Phone 734-767-6423. Wanted. Braille Sense, Brilliant, or Braille Note Empower. Contact Ronald Bird at 812 924 78 81. Wanted. Old Perkins Brailler. Must be in usable condition. Contact John Geltermeyer at 805-929-5369. Wanted. Speech synthesizer, either the Accent from ICOM or DeckTalk from Digital Equipment. Must be in working order. If you have one you would like to sell, contact Larry Heath, L-H-E-A-T-H, at E-M-B-A-R-Q-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M with price, unit condition, and model information. ACB Officers President Kim Charlson, 3rd Term, 2019, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472.
First Vice President Dan Spoon, First Term, 2019 3924 Lake Mirage Boulevard, Orlando, Florida, 32817-1554. Second Vice President, John McCann, Second Term, 2019, 8761 East Placida Bolivar, Tucson, Arizona, 85715-5650. Secretary, Ray Campbell, 3rd Term, 2019, 460 Rain Tree Court, Number 3K, Glen Ellen, Illinois, 60137. Treasurer, David Trott, 1st Term, 2019, 1018 East Street, S, Talladega, Alabama, 35160. Immediate Past President Mitch Pomerantz, 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. ACB Board of Directors Jeff Bishop, Kirkland, Washington, First Term, 2020. Denise Colley, Lacey, Washington. First Term, 2020. Sarah Conrad, Fitchburg, Wisconsin. Second Term, 2020. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee. First Term, 2020. Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio. Second Term, 2022. James Crott, Miami, Florida. First Term, 2022. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, first term, 2020. Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland, second term, 2022. Michael Talley, Hueytown, Alabama, first term, 2022. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, first term, 2022. Ex officio, Debbie Lewis, Seattle, Washington. ACB Board of Publications, Ron Brooks Chair, Phoenix, Arizona, Third Term, 2019. Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, Second Term, 2020. Susan Glass, Saratoga, California, First Term, 2019. Debbie Lewis, Seattle, Washington, Second Term, 2020. Penny Reader, Montgomery Village, Maryland, first term, 2020. Ex officios, Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio. Bob Heche, Waltham, Massachusetts. Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington. Carla Rushevel, Louisville, Kentucky. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACB eForum may be accessed by email on the ACB website, via download from the webpage in Word, plain text, or Braille-ready file, or by phone at 605-475-8154. To subscribe to the email version, visit the ACB email lists page at www.acb.org. 
The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail in Braille, large print, digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 605-475-8154. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from www.acb.org/bf/.